Are you recording? I am now. Excellent. Because now I can tell you then that there is an office sweepstake going on to with on the odds of you having a complete recording this week. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, for first of all, I hope that you can like, you know, lift your headphones a little bit so that when I yell, Sam I am can hear that uh <laughs> I think the the fundamental problem is that y'all are just too cheap to send me a Zoom. That's how oh. that's how I'm calculating this. You have had so many problems with this recorder. It's time for a new one. I it really is. is. I think it's yeah, time for. Here you are. I mean, you work on an app that's responsible to sh- for shipping millions and millions and millions of video hours of video to millions and millions and millions of users in hundreds of countries every day, and yet each week you fail to seem to get thirty minutes of audio. <laughs> Well, you know, you know what that says, actually, Scotty, is that I'm so devoted to that task that I ignore the the other things in my life. Not to suggest that doing oh, this podcast so with you. So you're saying our one and a half listeners are not worth your time and effort? Oh my word, listener! Please send spears this way. <laughs> well, I think oh my. Uh, that, that did not turn out well, did it? <laughs> Oh, my word. You're basically just sat there by your microphone. You might just say, fuck you. <laughs> no, 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 no. Come on. We don't want to get like a, you know, a, you know, a, a bad rating, you know, whatever child protection yes. relating. Okay, Sam, you can beep the you out there. Um. <laughs> so, so I'll just say uh, fuck instead of fuck you. Yes. Okay, that's good. That's what I, that's what I'll just say. The, the, the trouble is we have recorded some amazing episodes. Oh, I've recorded. Anyway, you didn't. Um, some amazing <laughs> episodes. Yeah, the, I think our best sort of, I think Emmy award-winning episodes, you know, uh, have never, never got out there to our users. I mean, our users think we are a a mediocre, half-assed podcast when actually we have recorded or have tried to record some amazing stuff that they don't get to hear because of um, your technology failures. That's true. All right. Well, I am so dreading whether my microphone breaks this week or something. Something's karma. Karma. This karma's just going to run you over. So well, the trouble is now, John, see, I, I could say to you, what have you done since last week? Uh, but actually, for the for the listener, um, it's been about three weeks now, maybe even four, because we didn't record for a, a week while I was another week while I was away. So, you know, it's it's um, I, what have you been doing with your life, John? <laughs> uh, well, always the same saga. Um, another day, another A-B test, another, you know, uh, another improvements to, to broken things and accessibility and another effort to to help my colleagues do a better job with things because that's I think we talked well <laughs> I think we might have talked about it but that uh, that it's nice to be on a team where you have people well, with different we have talked about it whether anyone's heard that talk is okay <laughs> pipe down Scotty we've beaten that dead horse to death oh no I'm gonna keep this one because <laughs> oh, really? I have I, I have no other material oh okay so. that's what it is see now now the truth comes out you're cheap and you just want to abuse me. You're too cheap to pay for a therapist, so this is your weekly therapy. Uh, it is. You are far cheaper. Anyway, sorry. Yes, you work with good colleagues, and you were saying, I will not interrupt again. Thank you. Much. And I think that, that, that it's helpful that you have people with different types of expertises, and everybody can, can, is responsible for teaching other people. And so I think uh, what I remember speaking about last time before the, the, the tape spool got caught around my ankles and, and snagged and, and split was that there was a, a, a final bit of, of work that was done to solve a problem where uh, a collection views items 
were not being read. And so the, the way that it worked in voiceover is that, you know, the, the first couple of items would, would be read, the first cells would properly be read by voiceover. And then if you swiped on the cursor, it would just jump out and disappear completely. It was, it was really bad. And in the end, I found out that the, the problem was is that good news, bad news is that, uh, you know, the classes that I work, I try to, if I create a new class or if I'm modifying somebody, somebody else's code where I'm taking over, um, I, I kind of think it's important to do three things. One is to have a little class description which talks about the theory of operation, what problem it's trying to solve. And if it's, if it's working with data that's coming from a server of some port, I put a little bit of sample in the comments, you know, so that we can say, this is what the server looks like coming from, from, this is what the data looks like coming from the server, and then this class exists to operate it in, on a different way. So that's, I think, important thing in the class description. Then it has to have pragma marks to go through so that you can easily, you know, find different sections of the code related to different ones. And so there's always one about accessibility where I have my various configure accessibility methods. And my feeling for that is that you you kind of... You, you make the example that you want other people to follow. Um, and I think it's a good one in general. It's not too heavy-handed. And so uh, that's the good news. And, and that people have been you know following that. If they create something new, they say, if I don't do this, Fox is going to come around and give me grief about accessibility. And so uh, one of my colleagues did, in fact, do that. Um, took a configure accessibility method, put all the things that would set up the labels, the identifiers, that type of thing in it. But it unfortunately was called at the wrong time. And as a result, um, it, because it's, it's fairly common for accessibility identifiers to identify which item is in is, is being dealt with. So if there's an object identifier that, that refers to the object in place, for testing purposes, it's very helpful to be able to say, you know, find me the item by using a, a, a UIL XE element query that matches some parameters against the the accessibility ID. So let's say that you are creating a test and it revolves around some video ID. It makes it easier to find, you know, that video ID as represented in some UI element. So that's a pretty common pattern. However, if you invoke that method that that takes those values and the the, the entity or the view model containing that video ID is is not available at the time it's doing. Like let's say you do it in view did load or awake from nib, and you haven't set the view model or the entity or whatever object contains your identifier in it, then you get nulls in your strings. And that's deadly for voiceover. Um, it's, you know, if you don't do anything, if you don't set an accessibility identifier, one gets created for you. And I assume that the implementation of it is just a, a GUID of some sort um, uh, so that, you know, it, it's unique. If you don't and then you have a method that, that is calculating something and you're missing values, then you might end up something, you know, containing null string and it's not unique anymore. And that's bad news. So when I fix that, you know the 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 sun shone the birds were flying the hero got got the girl and 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 walked out into the sunset um and it, it what what i found interesting is that it was it it was you know it was annoying that we shipped that that's the bad news the good news you know weekly schedule able to fix it it was after all an ab test but what is i i keep kind of uh hammering home to people is that if you have an A-B test that's affecting a, a big part of the app that's going to be used by a lot of people and maybe a long-running test or lots of different cells or for whatever reason it's going to have a, a, a big blast radius, you, you kind of you have to pay attention to these details. So, you know, I, I took all these learnings, putting together a presentation, um, 
and I will make that to, to my colleagues. And if nothing else, I'll probably be able to take some of those lessons and put it into the next time I give a talk somewhere about this. Um, but the the happy thing for me is I think anytime you teach somebody, you always like to see that the lessons are moving forward. And so I was walking by the other day, and I heard the same colleague saying, no, we can't do that. It's going to screw up access- accessibility. And he didn't know I was walking by. And then he walked by, saw my face, and and he did this funny thing. He, like, you know, made this this you know, motion with his finger, his index finger under his eye to kind of say, I see that you're crying from happiness <laughs> that, that I've gotten the religion about that. And he's somebody who's taught me a ton about performance. So that it just, it made me feel happy because it really shows that, that we were able to consistently teach each other and, and make the app better. So that, that's what I was talking about. Um, I'll pass it back to you, Scotty, so you can go ahead and, and shit all over me. I'm not going to shit all over you. I, I think, uh, you know, the work you do on accessibility is, uh, uh, and your dedication to it. I mean, I don't know, you get paid to do it as your job, but, you know, it's, it's very important to you and you, it's not just because earning the money. Um, so it is great. And I think uh, the more high profile applications, and let's face it, Netflix is probably one of the most used applications on, on probably any platform. Um, and the fact that it works on uh, with accessibility is an example to everyone. Oh, so thank you, Scotty. It's cool. Uh, I guess the the only uh, downside I would say to what we learn from what you're saying is, of course, you spend a lot of time on accessibility uh, because there are other team members who um, work on other parts of the application or, or other parts of the features. And I know you work on features as well, but you, but you do um, specialize in accessibility stuff. So it's the question is, how does, how, how does the balance come for someone who's a, a, an independent iOS developer, one person, um, you know, trying to get apps, an app out the door? I can understand why they might feel, I don't necessarily think they're right, but I can understand why they might feel this is a burden that they cannot cope with as a one developer team. I don't know if you have any encouragement or opinions on that you can throw their way. I do, actually. I mean, I think for one thing, you know, what I've said all the, all along is that if you're using standard components, you you almost don't have to do anything. It's when you go off the beaten path. And I think companies tend to do that. Engineering teams tend to do that when they have very, very specialized needs, either in terms of, of how something behaves or they may might have some code that, that, that they, they need to use. I mean, the examples is there are plenty of apps that you wouldn't imagine uh, that are done with OpenGL and they're not games. I mean, there, there was a great example I saw at WWDC. This was a, a DJ app um, and it's super, you know, it's, it's super performant and, and kind of understandably goes directly to OpenGL. Um, and that you would get nothing. You know, the 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 OpenGL view was just it w- would have an accessibility element. I mean, a, a identifier for it, and that would be it. So they they actually went go to a great trouble, and 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 the, one of the best things, the coolest things I've ever seen was was an Apple employee, you know, doing a great DJ set with beat matching and very sophisticated stuff, you know, and, and, and scratching and all sorts of clever stuff. And he's able to do it because of how accessible it is and how they, they go above and beyond and, and use haptic and, and other stuff like that. Um, so that's an example of, of somebody kind of going off the beaten path and caring enough to do it. 
if you're building an app that 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 uses kind of standard table views or collection view cells and 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 that type of thing, standard buttons, labels, you you don't really have to do anything. And and I think I should also point out, it's like even when when there are mistakes, people one way or another are able to do it. And I think people who use VoiceOver or other assistive technologies are kind of used to things not being perfect because even in perfect apps, there could be problems. Just VoiceOver itself can get lost and so well even for people who don't have accessibility issues most apps aren't perfect so well that's true yeah exactly so i mean so that, that's the thing to keep in mind it doesn't have to be perfect it's like you know don't let perfect be the enemy of the good the second thing is so so it, you know it, and in our case there are certain things that we we just have to do for performance reasons where we we do go off the beaten path sometimes you know we end up doing things like having you know tap gesture recognizers instead of ui buttons because it makes 5 6 milliseconds difference and if you've got a lot of them and you've got a scrolling feed those add up soon and 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 you can drop frames and you have to look for savings anywhere you can sometimes especially if you're working with other classes that you don't have any control over like you know <laughs> av player foundation for example so um that's so, so but the, the the second thing i would say as to, to why to do it and i think this is a very useful point is that if you got a new app there and, and you're an indie you need every hook possible so if it's you know you could do a bang up job in a matter of one or two days um if if if, if you spend the time you know searching out on the web kind of there are a million tutorials a million blog posts you know all sorts of things i mean I think the talk I gave in St. Petersburg had lots of helpful hints for it. So there, there are plenty of resources out there. And if you do it, you have that one more hook, especially if the app is not something that people would expect to be able to do. So back to the DJ app example, nobody would kind of expect that somebody who has no vision at all could use the app, a, a, an app of that nature, um, and, and do it to such good effect. It's, it's great press. It gives it gives it gives anybody a reason to, to to write about it, but beyond the normal feeds and speeds discussion about any new app. So I think that that's there's a carrot, there's a stick, and there's my carrot and stick for it. And I think your general advice of stick to standard controls becomes truer and truer um, as we go on. I mean, you know, with dark mode, if you're using standard controls, dark mode just works. I mean, as we've I've said several times, we're doing a a migration of the Moneywell UI at the moment, and which means we're going through lots and lots of zip files and uh, going through them and fixing things and you know, taking bindings and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, we're doing we're making sure we're doing the whole of that work while running the um, the machine that the person's doing it on in dark mode, so we can see dark mode issues for things like yeah, make sure you select a system color, not a specific color. So don't select white, select system background or whatever. Um, so, and I, so I think the more you just stick with standard stuff. And I think often, again, then maybe moving away from the indie who can control everything to people who uh, work for um, uh, companies, there can sometimes be an obsession from designers that thing must, things must look our way and it forces you out of standard controls. Uh, and then that makes the accessibility stuff far more difficult and and then you know the the company project leader whoever makes a decision coming is stuck between the choice do we have what the designers want or do we do accessibility because we can't sort of have time to 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 do both so um you know i've always been on the argue for you know i've worked for several uh clients where they've got this obsession that the app must look the same on android and on ios um you know for for this common branding type of thing and it's you know i i you know without wishing to be rude to any of these designers or companies i think that's com- 
completely and utterly nonsense because you know how many people genuinely use an android device and an ios device um you may have a few that have an android tablet and an ios phone or an android phone and an, and an ipad but that is you know that is a a tiny tiny um uh, minority so who actually gives a shit that your app looks the same on ios than it does on android surely android users want it to work like an android app and ios users want it to work like an an iOS app, and everyone's a lot happier. But yeah, you know, this this it must look the same because it's our brand. Yeah, yeah. But equally, it just provides all these other issues that then all this normal stuff like dark mode and accessibility just doesn't work. So standard controls wherever you can. You should really have to, you know, set yourself up some sort of a uh, run the gauntlet challenge to that you have to do before you can put anything that's not a standard control on anything just to make yourself check and balance on that because you know you don't help yourself when you move away from it that's my view anyway it's totally true so um talking about accessibility you're talking about xcui uh, element and xcui element query um i think when we last spoke for an episode that went out i've been saying how i've been doing some ui testing uh, for a client uh using the uh xcui test framework within within xcode and I think I expressed that um, I was less than satisfied with it. Um, if it comes down to Xcode recording UI tests, then I think uh, I would still hold that position. However, now I'm sort of like uh, three or four weeks more experienced in UI testing. I haven't been doing it solidly for three or four weeks, but I've done a lot more of it in the last three or four weeks. And, and I've learnt the ways to make these things work a little bit better and understand them a little bit better and just understood how XCUI elements and XCU element query are quite, they're just like these do-it-all classes and you're actually knowing where something is. Like, you know, is something going to be in buttons or is it going to be in checkboxes or, or whatever else type of part of it? Because it's like this big generic stuff. So I think some of it is familiarity. But I have to say I am more, a few weeks in now, I am more convinced by doing UI testing using the XCUI um test framework um i'm uh, so i'm now at that point of saying you know of trying to decide do we implement a suite of ui tests for for manuel um because even though i'm more convinced putting together ui tests uh takes quite a long time uh it is a fairly uh labor intensive um uh, operation even more so than writing unit tests um, but you know when I think of how much support we often get after a new release of an OS or uh, an OS point upgrade or we've built against a slightly newer SDK to put out a, a bug release or something about how oh this field used to turn red when the number went negative and now it doesn't and you know this field used to go black and you know just little things like that that it's functionality in the app and it suddenly stops because of um uh you know something changes in the os and if i think how many ui interactions there might be in in an app especially a fairly complicated app like a, a home budgeting app like manuel is um you know it's even for a team, which we are, as opposed to an individual, but a very small team, only three of us, um, working on it, you know, to check every time there's a point release of a uh, of an operating system or there's an SDK update with Xcode, to check every single one of those UI 
um, expressions um, when, uh, you know, in that case, it's just not going to happen. So we're going to end up shipping UI bugs all the time. Whereas if you have a suite of UI tests that just the first time you write that code that says, well, in this circumstance, that number should go red uh, or should go green or should go black, and you and you write a set of UI tests that check that, um, and then you know you may not even run those UI tests very often because UI tests take a long time to run, but you have that suite of tests that you will run before any release, or you do a weekly run on some build server somewhere. You know that's going to catch all that stuff, and you're going to not ship bugs, and that it will eventually then reduce support because even though it's a minor support thing. You know, to fix these little bugs, you've got to you know, respond to all the support email that comes in about them. You've got to put another release out that fixes them. So it's, you know, I'm I'm sort of on the fence at the moment to do we put the time and effort into producing a very thorough set of UI tests that, that test this sort of thing in order to catch regressions. We can, we can just confidently work and know that these tests will catch regressions. Or is it just a little bit too much investment and we should you know, just put up with the after effect of those bugs. And, and I'm undecided yet, but I have, I've become convinced enough by the XEUI framework in the way it works to, to, to know that we could do it in there. So it's, um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to report back when we make our final decision. Um, of course, if you change your UI dramatically, they will break, same way unit tests do. Uh, but because you're not actually saying, you know, because it's not like in the old days when UI tests is where you said, you know, find this point on the screen and do this, because you identify everything that you want to test through its accessibility identifier. So you have to set identifiers up for everything, which is great because that's part of the step on the way to accessibility working for you as well. Um, you know, you, you can just say, get me this button with this identifier. And if it's moved to the other side of the screen or it's uh, on, on a different tab now, that doesn't matter. It can still get it. So it's pretty robust that sort of way. So, yeah, I mean, do you do, I think I asked you this question last time, but I can't remember. How, do you use XEUI testing for, for, for running UI tests at all? You just talked about yeah, we those do. classes. No, we do. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and do you use it for explicitly testing how the UI operates, or is it mainly for testing accessibility stuff, or both? Uh, no, it's it's for the way the UI operates. I wish we could do testing for for how accessibility works because, um, and I haven't really found a good solution. So, and that's one of the reasons why I, you know, you have to have some humans with expertise that spread their expertise, because uh, you know you can find out you can find out if an element has you know an identifier or a label but that doesn't really tell you if it's a good experience because it you know a very common thing that you have is is order being incorrect or you know incorrect meaning not kind of reasonable if you think about all the subviews that you have on any table view cell for example you know um, and, and that's a whole other discussion about about kind of going from something that works to something that works really smoothly and nicely um, but yes we definitely use it yeah, now I, I, I've done something this week which I'm not sure whether I like or don't like, so I'm just going to share with you see, for UI testing. So um, in one of these things I've been working on, there's like a toolbar. This is a Mac app. There's a toolbar. It sort of displays error messages in the toolbar, a little bit like um, Xcode would put warnings and everything during a build up in the toolbar and have a little warning triangle button you can click, and then that will display certain warnings. Um what else? And so that whole thing, I wanted to put together some UI tests to to check that you know if I threw ten warnings at it, they cycled through being displayed properly, and the warning thing, the number on the button was correct. And if I clicked the button, it showed all ten, even though it maybe only had cycled through three in the one line. 
version of it. Now, you know, in, in a UI test, creating you know, creating an incident where 10 errors gets thrown inside the app itself is actually quite hard because the app is pretty robust and doesn't get that many errors. <laughs> um, and so I was trying to work out how, how, what's the best way of doing this. And in the end, I've actually just decided um, I've added extra code to the app just for UI testing. <laughs> so I have a UI test menu that appears in the app and it looks for an environment variable which the UI tests themselves set. So under normal operation, this... this um, this menu isn't going to appear in the menu bar at all. Uh, and then I just create a, a menu item for any test that I want to do it. And so in this case, you know, if, if when, when you click that menu, it throws 10 errors at the window, um, just like it was it was getting it from the database layer or wherever it might have been. Um, so what the UI test actually does is open the app, click that menu, and then <laughs> checks that the displays for the errors are correct. So I'm, I'm, I'm testing... What I wanted to test, which was do errors that get displayed properly, um, without and that feels a little weird having code in my app that's just there for making UI tests work. But the amount of things I'd have to do and the amount of tests I'd have to write to get to a situation that I could produce ten errors or five errors or any number of errors is the point um, is, is there. So it does feel a little weird writing that. Now I've put it all stuff in its own code and I've got it in. Um, uh, conditional com- compiles that only happens in you know, dev mode and whatever else and these sort of things, uh, but it, it is it does feel a little bit funny. Do you, but do it's you have so funny. On it, that? Am I breaking no, all the rules or is that no? It's it's, it's I, I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm loving that that you did this because I was getting ready to do the same thing and now I know that that's a terrible no. I think I I, I, <laughs> I, I you know I think we have a similar problem. I think trying to get the app into a certain state can be very difficult. And what I, you know. It may not be obvious, but when you are running, uh, when you're doing XCUI test, your 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 code is essentially running in, in a an app that launches another app and is only able to access things, you know, to to operate it. In, uh, yeah, really, people in, may in the not way know that... you can, you cannot access the view controllers from inside exactly. the UI tests or the yep. window controllers. You you can, you can only access elements by getting them through accessibility identifiers and then, exactly. and then and that's not even then you get back the ns button you get back this amorphous ui testing object right. that you can do things with so yeah you, yeah you can tap on it you can't set the label of it for example you can find out what the label is but yes exactly and so uh, uh there was a, a thing that i needed testing that 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 is it, it, you know i think that for for tests that need to check the state of video at a certain time you might imagine that you know you run into the problem of of how do you get you know go back and forth in the video. So I mean, one of the things that we can do is you can programmatically move a scrubber, but even a scrubber you can't. It's one of those things where if you look at the documentation, you can set it to a percentage. So you can do some math and saying, hey, I want to get it to this you know this point in in the video, but just as a human being can't really get frame accurate or even they can get it close to like maybe ten second bounds. I, I don't know, but you know if if you scrub through any video players, it gets you generally where you need to go. But you know for frame accurate or or second accurate. That's that's really in the realm of, of of things like Final Cut or whatnot, where you just use a keyboard command, you use the arrow keys, and with a modifier to go either by seconds or frames or whatever. So, in order to facilitate testing of that, I I, I have seriously been considering putting something that you know a, a video player mode where there is a text field that could be in there, and you would never have this in the app. And I'm not even certain whether whether it would work because. I thought about, well, this should be really easy. I just put a text field in there, and I can set the value of where I want to go, and then get that value, and 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 you know, have it tap on a button. But I think 
when I while I was thinking it through, it's like, well, then you run into the problems. You got the video player, which is in 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 landscape orientation, and the keyboard to come up. I I I it seemed like a Frankenstein approach. But if you could make it to work, it could cut down testing time a lot, a lot, a lot for certain types of tests where you really need to go back and forth and jump around the video. You know, you, it's easy enough to to start up the state. Uh, I think because one trick that we do is, is you know, we have we have URL handlers. You can start up the Netflix app and you can play back a title and you can even advance the player to a certain point. You know, just like YouTube, for example, I do that all the time. I've got like I just want to get the, a certain segment of a YouTube clip to somebody. I go to the trouble of of their desktop web sharing option, which allows you to to set it at a certain point, um, and it then works on mobile. But anyway, um, that's that's I, I, now that now that you've you've done it, and the world hasn't you know opened up a, a portal to the dark side of the universe. I think I might try it as well, and I'll report back to you. Yeah, I think the key for me was making sure. Uh, so, so basically the app checks for the existence of this environment variable, because that's a simple way you can get to it from XCUI application. Um, equally, you, if you want to run in dev mode with, um, uh, and see this menu for, for just making sure it's working purposes, you can add that, uh, environment variable to the scheme you're using. Um, and then it really just in the app delegate it just says if this menu exists it calls one method on a, a ui test helper class that i've put in there that sets up the menu and then every everything that needs to happen is in an extension of this ui test helper class or something that it, it loads so and then all that code is sat in one folder in the project and so there is no there is no test code intermingled inside other than that couple of lines in the app delegate that choose to whether it sets the menu up or not um, there's no test code inside the um, uh, mingled into the normal thing, so all the test code is only in its own source files. So that that makes me feel more comfortable. If if test code starts getting mixed into like the you know, normal view controllers, that um, uh, you know that I don't like at all. And, and equally, I make I, I I write test code to do something very specific. Like so, for example, it was to throw. 10 errors at the current window using its add error message you know, um, method that is on this particular window controller. Um, but the it does nothing itself to make sure the app is in a position that that window exists or anything like that. That's the UI test job to set everything up and then say, now click the menu to make sure that window gets thrown the errors. So it's time to keep the code to as minimum as possible. And I, I feel reasonably comfortable with it because it is very segregated. Um, I do feel a little dirty you know, not as dirty as I would if it was mixed all over the place. Indeed, indeed. Well, with the talk of feeling dirty, I guess um, uh, I know you've got a, a call to go to. We should probably um, begin to wrap up. So, John, if people want to um, send you things with which to clean yourself. <laughs> you. <laughs> yes. send, send me some XE test bleach. Uh, yes. They can find me on on the Twitters where I'm Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. And, Scotty, if, if people want to ask you, no, enjoin you to be nicer to me, where might they do that? I just wouldn't waste your time if I was you, people. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> but other than that, um, you can for anything else, you can get me on Twitter as MacDevNet. Uh, Micro.blog is Scotty. And, of course, you could talk to both of us by sending an email to feedback at iDeveloper.co. Well, John, despite all of my, uh, you know, wild ranting and everything else, I have enjoyed our talk thoroughly this, today. So it's been a pleasure to uh, to um, uh, catch you. And I think, actually, on the show last time, uh, that. Um, 
uh, we failed to release because certain recordings went wrong from a certain member of our team. Um, <laughs> we actually also said happy birthday because it had only just been your birthday, but that's now so long ago. Is it even worth saying it? But anyway, happy birthday, John, for between this show and the last show. Oh, thank you, Scotty. You're entirely too kind. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Hopefully there's been something of interest to you in there. Um, I guess if there wasn't, you're probably not listening by now. So <laughs> if you're still here, uh, so thanks for listening. And until next time, you take care. Thank you.